from Zamo Digital, welcome to the SaaS Marketing Superstars Podcast with your host, Aaron Sikowski. This is the show where we uncover proven growth strategies from CMOs and marketing leaders behind some of the fastest growing SaaS companies. Hey, superstars. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Aaron Zikowski, and today I'm chatting with Ryan Schenk. Ryan is the founder and CEO of PhoneWagon, a call tracking software that helps marketers and agencies to track which of their marketing campaigns are driving more phone calls and revenue. Ryan grew PhoneWagon from zero to over a million dollars in annual revenue in just four years and recently sold his company to CallRail. Hey, Ryan, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. For sure. Uh, we'd love to hear a little bit more about your background, how you kind of started uh, PhoneWagon and how you grew that to be able to sell so so quickly in just four years. Yeah, absolutely. So um starts out, uh, actually, before PhoneWagon, I was uh, COO at a company called M Helpdesk that was in the category of field service software. Um, and when I was there, we were, we were basically selling software to small businesses to help them manage, you know, work orders and scheduling and, uh, and everything like that. And that company ended up getting acquired by HomeAdvisor, which, uh, is a huge marketplace for home services. And when I was there, you know, a lot of the businesses that were buying the field service software to sort of manage the jobs were also buying leads from home advisor and Angie's list, they're buying leads from a bunch of different places. And, you know, what we found is that a lot of those businesses, while they were getting, you know, people submitting um, forms and online lead requests, a lot of them also were getting phone calls as well. And they valued, especially in the home services industry, they valued phone calls um, incredibly highly because, uh, you know, these, these are businesses that are on the go. And a lot of times a phone call is, um, uh, is, you know, someone looking for something and it's a consultation. So I sort of saw that the need in the market was like, hey, they want to be able to get these phone calls as leads and saw that there was a, uh, a need to sort of, uh, sort of track the phone calls in addition to the web leads. So when I, was, uh, when I was leaving that company, a couple things were happening that I thought was interesting um, it was summer of 2016. So Twilio was IPOing that summer. So there was a lot of sort of eyeballs on telephony and, and that space and, and different applications that people were building uh, on top of Twilio. So that was interesting. Um, there was a couple other companies that were sort of launching in the like phone telephony space, more for the enterprise, like Dialpad. Um, there's a company called TalkDesk back then that I kind of had an eye on, which funny enough, recently, uh, this company TalkDesk just raised that like a $10 billion valuation uh, just now. Um, back then, they obviously weren't that high, but they were still uh, kind of on my radar. So, and, uh, and as I was leaving um, and help desk and I was trying to decide what I wanted to do next, you know, I, I, a couple of things. One, I wanted to stay in my lane. I think there's a big value uh, especially if this is a B2B marketing podcast, I think there's value in sort of like doing what you know, staying in your lane. You know, I didn't want to go and, and start, you know, a Shopify store and go direct to consumer or e-commerce. Um, I didn't really want to go enterprise because I didn't know that space, right? I sort of wanted to stay SMB, B2B. Um, so I was, you know, like kind of taking a look and I was like, oh, I think this could be interesting. You know, if you could build something on Twilio, there's a lot of hype in, in the phone space, right? People moving from like desk phone to, to cloud. Hey, can you start something here? So that's how I was like, all right, you know, I want to take a stab at, uh, at going after 
after the telephony space. And that's what I did in uh, really summer of 16 is when I kind of started like building it. And, uh, and that's how we sort of stumbled and landed on, uh, on phone wagon. Yeah. And, and I saw there's an article, I guess you wrote on Neil Patel's blog, uh, talking about how you actually built the platform and, and the whole website and business for, for about 40 grand, which is quite incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. I'm actually really glad I, I, uh, I wrote that article. I think it was, uh, you know, I wanted to document my uh, kind of process and sort of what I did to, uh, to initially start it. I think especially, especially now it's starting to get really popular to sort of like build in public and to like kind of share openly. I think back then, you know, there was a few companies that were doing it like buffer was sort of like the, the pioneer in sort of this like open startup. And then a lot of times like on like indie hackers, people are, you know, hooking up their, their metrics and sort of like building openly. Um, and it's a lot more common. Um, you know, I think kind of before it was like this thing of like, hey, do we kind of like stay closed? Do we not disclose anything? And, and I wanted to sort of like be open and sort of share, share the process. And I think that article actually like was, uh, it was pretty cool. Um, you know, it ranks really highly even now for if you search any terms like um, launch B2B SaaS company, build its number one organic result. And, you know, people are finding it every day. And it's really cool. The messages I get, people are like, Hey, I saw this article and I'm really inspired. Like even every single week now, still four years later, which is the crazy power of just like organic search, you know, I get messages, people, you know, telling me that they found it and this is what they're building and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, so it was really cool. And again, I just wanted to sort of document the journey and sort of do this like open, Hey, here, here's what I did. Um, and you know, see if you can apply it in, a, in another B2B SaaS software. Nice. So, so I'm curious, you, you mentioned the fact, you know, that the idea of keeping, you know, revenues public and, and things like that and, and disclosing all of that online. I've seen discussions and, and debates about that, you know, in certain online communities that I'm a part of. You know, what, what's your rationale? What's your thinking about why you would think that, you know, your, your earnings and your growth should be public and why you want to share that? Look, I, I think, you know, I, I do get, you know, if you're too small, right, then people might not take you seriously. So I, I definitely understand the like, hey, we want to maybe like appear bigger than we are. But I think now, right, it's pretty common to just sort of like, just be open and sort of humanize yourself. And I think a lot of people can relate when you're building a company, like, Hey, this is where we're at. Here's our revenues. Like people almost want to get sort of behind the story and sort of like be a part of that journey. And I think a lot of times too, you know, there's a certain type of customer that like feels uh, connected when they, they feel like they know the founder, they can see the metrics, they sort of like are, are following the journey. You know, that said, you know, if it's larger companies, they might not want to get behind a super early, small, small startups. You might lose some deals because they're like, well, look, you're like, you know, doing, you know, 100K annual revenue and we don't feel comfortable putting our billion dollar company sort of like on your platform. You know, there might be like platform risk, whatever it is. But um but yeah, I think like the openness and just if, again, if you're trying to differentiate maybe like in the crowd and create like a brand, I think there is value in, in humanizing, humanizing it instead of just being, you know, a software product. Yeah. And no, I think uh, a bunch of brands, I mean, yours is definitely a great example. I think about, you know, Dave, Dave Rogan Moser over at Proof and his team, how they've just been, a, how the personalities are running the company and their advertising and a lot of their branding. You know, you look at Train You All, you look at a lot of small B2B focused companies and I think, you know, people want to do business with people. So, so having the, the founders front, front and center, I think is, is really interesting. Um, Definitely, yeah. 
So, so tell me, so, so the beginning, you, you launched this product, you know, you got it going. How, how did you, how did you get the initial traction and, and customers going? You know, what advertising, what marketing were you doing there? Yeah, I think like, especially, you know, with B2B, B2B software, um, there's a few things that are pretty, pretty common, right? People can do ad buys, right? You can kind of do a Facebook ad campaign. You can, you know, set up a landing page, you can, you know, buy some Google ads. Again, those things are, are expensive and you got to be able to, you know, track them to make sure that uh, that you're getting the return on ad spend and that, that it's worth it. You know, one thing that we did uh, and, you know, we, we did it, I, I've, I've seen it in a lot of different areas is, you know, there's, there's a lot of like, um, there's a lot of like review sites that you're able to sort of use that, uh, that you can sort of pay, they're pay to play, right? So there's uh, Captera, there's G2, there, there's a bunch of these software review sites. And one thing that I thought um, was interesting, and I, and I knew this from, my, from the previous company I was at, was, uh, was Captera, where basically like they show up number one in organic search for pretty much any software category, right? Like if you search for CRM software, Captera is going to be number one uh, organic result, probably even number one paid result. And the, and the listing that they dump you into is sort of like a, they actually default to sort of like a directory, but it's also a review site of, uh, of all the different software products in that category. So if I search CRM software, I'm going to hit Captera. And I'm going to find, you know, probably Salesforce and probably like uh, pipe drive and, and whatever it is. So, you know, we were able to just, you know, create a listing. Anyone can create a listing on, uh, on those sites. You can build out your profile, put your screenshots, put a nice description, get some reviews from like, even if you have five customers, just ask the customers to create reviews on there. Right. Mm -hmm. And then if you're paying to sort of be at the top of there, you can sort of like get that pass through organic traffic, right? If someone's just searching against CRM software, if someone's searching for, you know, screen sharing software tool, call tracking, software, whatever the software tool is, they're going to hit there. And then if you're paying to sort of be at the top, you're going to get that traffic as well. So when you're a new company starting off, you know, you get on Captera, you get on G2 and like you're the new kid on the block, and you know, Twilio's already up there and CallRail's already up there and all the other companies. Are you able to compete just by coming in and saying, you know, let me just bid and, and, and you're going to get traffic and sell away from those big guns? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's completely pay to play, right? Like, again, the default, uh, the default listing result is shown as sponsored. So you can uh, you can pay to sort of like be at the top. And so you'll be number one on there if you're paying, you know, the top bid to, to get those clicks. So you can literally, you know, sort of pay to sort of be at the top and then you can link off uh, from there to a landing page. So like any, any B2B SaaS company could sort of, you know, create the profile, pay to kind of bid to sort of be at the top. You don't have to be number one, right? Cause that's probably the highest, but there's still traffic at two, three spots on those listings. And then you could kind of link to a landing page that, you know, you're, you're going to be able to get conversions from. So, so it's an interesting place because, you know, it might be, more expensive, uh, you'd have to kind of run the numbers than more expensive than sort of, uh, if you're just doing ad buys on, on Google ads and then Facebook, like if you haven't, you don't have enough data to sort of get the targeting, right? Like you can sort of use those, uh, platforms or Captera specifically sort of get that really relevant traffic. 
Interesting. I mean, it, it, it's interesting because, you know, I know so many people obviously advertising on, on these comparison platforms and, and very few people that I've seen actually really talking about, about how it works. Um, how, how do the reviews actually play into the rankings over there? You know, if, if, if someone's got, you know, 500 reviews and, and you've got five reviews and you're coming in, if you're paying to play, you know, are you still, is that going to affect you in terms of your results? The fact that you've got so few results, so few reviews. And, and if someone's not paying to play, are those reviews really going to make any impact whatsoever on those platforms? So again, I haven't looked at it like very recently, but uh, historically it was, again, the default kind of ranking was by sponsored. So it's whoever's paying. So as long as, you know, if you haven't paid, you're actually like going to be in the, the regular listing sort of like at the bottom and then like the, the paid listings are going to be at the top and then whoever's sort of like paying more is going to be at the very top. So even the person with like more reviews might be two or three if you're outbidding them for that number one spot. So, um, and I think people when they click through are sort of like just going to, they're not changing the the sort. They might, they might be, um, but you know, back, it at least used to default though to, to the sponsored um, instead of number of reviews. Gotcha. Um, so do you think if, if all the, the, sponsored poster at the top is there still value would you recommend that a, a small b and b2b SaaS company who's kind of getting started should they still be focusing on getting reviews over there or you know is, and is there one platform that you would recommend over others in terms of where you're most likely to see success i think b2b software companies should absolutely focus on reviews right i think like you know people these days are are looking for reviews. They're looking for social proof. They want to kind of get something that's sort of de-risked a little bit from a a review element. Um, So I absolutely think that the reviews, again, this is more um, qualitative saying like, Hey, I I think the reviews will help with conversion. Um, So, so drive the reviews that also kind of helps bulk up your your profile and sort of gives you more legitimacy um and yeah i mean there's a there's a bunch of sites that i think are are interesting and valuable for the reviews i think g2 is you know they've raised a ton of money and they seem like they're they're killing it as well um captera obviously i I, i'm a big fan of i think like reviews on on kind of all those sites are uh are incredibly valuable nice all right so so you use these review sites you kind of got your initial traction you got some initial customers started growing. Um, I know from conversations with lots of people, you know, that the traffic you're going to get from Captera G2 is, is, is really strong, but it's also limited just based on how many searches are coming through, just like, you know, Google search might be. H- how did you continue that growth to kind of hit the numbers and, and, and revenue numbers that you did? Um, I th- it's kind of like all, uh, you know, I think in B2B, it's, it's more of like a long tail of a bunch of different channels, right? I think you have to do the review sites, you have to do the paid spends, um, you have to do communities, you have to do maybe outbound, which we were never able to, to kind of figure out, but obviously more in like, and again, it depends. I know it's a B2B podcast, so some people will have, you know, uh, the, re- the average cost per sale and the average revenue per sale to sort of justify sort of that SDRAE model and go outbound. So I think it's a combination of paid ad spend, social, paid ad spend, search, Google ads, review sites, outbound, uh, community building, which is huge right now. You know, you're seeing like a lot of projects 
um, start up their own communities, whether it's on a Discord channel or whether it's on a platform like Circle, which I know is like kind of like more private community, um, whatever it is, right? I think, uh, <clears throat> especially for B2B, it's a long tail of all these different things that you're sort of like kind of picking up sales from each of these different channels. You're looking at it, hey, which channel is, uh, is ROI positive and kind of seeing if you can increase ad spend on those channels and sort of killing the channels that it, uh, it might not be profitable. And I think in the very early days too, you know, you really have to say like, look, is it profitable in the short term? What's our payback period? Um, it might not be, but honestly, if you take a longer term approach of saying, Hey, you know, this channel is not really profitable right now, but we're driving top line, we're, you know, and these eventually are going to lead to referrals and that sort of thing. You have to almost take a, a longer term uh, view of things instead of like, Hey, is my, you know, payback period of my CAC to LTV, you know, ROI positive right now, maybe not. So I, I think it's uh, it's definitely looking at it from uh, from like a, a long term perspective and, and kind of all these different channels added up. Nice. So so thinking about long term perspective and, and communities and such, you, you once mentioned to me that you know in the early stages you kind of were building relationships actually in a lot of these communities and that that was a big lever to help you guys grow. Can you can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I think like. Um, and it's interesting now, even even with stuff that I'm doing now, I, I'm like really paying attention to uh, to communities and how people are, are building building communities. They're inside of communities. Communities are helping launch projects. Uh, they're helping um, with that. But yeah, I think it's I think it's important to sort of like be on the ground. And it's funny, I, I see like Gary V right now. He's huge in uh, in NFTs, and you know he. Um, one building his own community with like his NFT project, which is called V friends. And he's like super deep in the discords, right. He's chatting with people. I think it's like very important to not just sort of like have a community know that it's there, but to really be a part of it, to, to be doing meetups and to be doing, you know, having real relationships and, and really being like immersed with your customers and your potential customers and being one of them. Um, and I think that sort of will lead downstream to people trusting you, to knowing you, to, you know, them then recommending your product to other people in the community like, oh, you know, he or she is one of us and, you know, they're in here and here's the product that, you know, there's just so much more awareness and, uh, and this like real level of relationship. Yeah, nice. Um, so basically, you know, you Sounds like, you know, grow, growing uh, phone wagon, you had a lot of different channels, you know, Captera, communities, paid ads, et cetera. Can you share a little bit of kind of how you got to the point where um, the acquisition came along? Is there, is there any part of the story with that you should share? I know these things tend to be, you know, somewhat private and you're in the early stage since the acquisition, but uh, any part of the, that story you can share how that came about? Yeah, I, I mean, I think anytime you're sort of like in a market and you're gaining traction, you know, you're going to be noticed from, you know, other players in the space or other products that, you know, you could be complimentary towards. Um, so, I, you know, I think we, you know, we were chatting, you know, just at a high level with a, a few people kind of in the space as, as, you know, customers are starting to talk about us. They're starting to use us. They're starting to like, you know, you just sort of like get on the radar of uh of other companies competitors complementary products right like if you um i'm trying to think of a, a good example but you know like 
you know, I'm curious how the Slack Salesforce acquisition came about, but, but regardless, you know, I, I think like, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we were just kind of getting, um, getting a little bit of, not a little bit, we were getting traction and we were kind of making, making a name for ourselves in the space. And I think that sort of just gets you on the radar of, uh, of these other people. And so it, when it kind of makes sense to sort of join forces, I think it, it makes sense. And in our case, with CallRail, like, it totally made sense, right? Like they're, they're the, the best product in the space. And, you know, it just it was a, such a win-win for the customers and team and product and, and everything like that, that it's like, hey, when it makes sense to join forces, like absolutely, like let's do that. Let's, uh, you know, let's make this a, a, a massive win for our customers. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what we're all trying to do. We're trying to make the best product, the best experience for the customers to have like the best outcome. And when that opportunity came, I was like, absolutely, you know, that just totally makes sense. And, uh, you know, the customers are going to win here. So, so that's sort of like how it came about. And, uh, and it's like, why, you know, why, why build two, two different product roadmaps that are relative, you know, potentially similar or overlapping when we can combine forces, have more resources and, uh, and have this huge, um, huge win for, for the customers. Nice. So, so now that you've had the, this, this big success, this big exit, um, from, I'm pretty sure you've kind of moved on and you're no longer working on the project anymore. What's next for Ryan Schenk? Like, where, where are you seeing opportunities within the market, within the investing landscape? You know, what are you up to now? Oh my God. So the space is crazy. Like e- even since I left phone wagon, like three, four months ago, you know, you're starting to see, you know, one, you're starting to see company companies are really good right now. Like they're launching and the products are incredible. The communities they're building are incredible. The space is moving so fast, not just in like um, SaaS and, and tech, but like in crypto and uh, in that whole world. And you're starting to see, you know, founders have their own rolling funds. You know, I think even early stage VCs without great brand names are having a tough time competing with, uh, with these founders who have, uh, who have like either syndicates and are funding companies um, so, so, you know, I'm looking at a lot of this, like smart contracts, a bunch of stuff that's happening on blockchain. I think it's crazy interesting. There's going to be a lot of use cases that are going to be applicable in other more traditional areas, like creating, you know, smart contracts in, uh, you know, fractionalization is super interesting to me, something that I'm really looking at right now. So, um, so I'm kind of looking at, at that space a lot right now uh, and see what we what you can do on the blockchain to uh, to kind of apply to more traditional stuff outside of just art and collectibles. Uh-huh. And so are you thinking, is your mind more, hey, I'm ready to start my next business soon? Or are you now Ryan Schenck, the investor? No, no, no. Uh, so I have, I've been doing some, some like angel investing, some NFT stuff, but, you know, I'm looking at how we can apply that to create a new company. Um, and, and that's, you know, I, I love, I love the idea of creating something. I think like, especially in the early days uh, and really everything I've done so far, I get super energized from the creative process and like building something from scratch, you know, building a product that, you know, you have this thesis on, and then once you're able to like talk to customers and build it and seeing them use it, like that is so fulfilling when they start like using your product and literally organically telling their friends to use your product and then seeing them use it every single day. Like that is so incredibly awesome. 
that I want to like jump back into that and start, start just like building again and creating content and kind of going back to those like early, early days where, you know, the, the process is, is really about like creating. Nice. That totally makes sense. Inspiring me to even think about like the fun that would be to, to build a company like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's super fun. I, I, I think also, you know, that's where I'm good at. I, I want to get better at being like a manager and like managing, but I, I think like I personally like the kind of early, early stuff of creating versus like managing and like process and, you know, that, that sort of thing. Awesome. Uh, super. This was, this was really great. We learned a ton here. Um, let's jump into a quick lightning round, a couple of quick questions, quite fast answers and sure. uh, we'll go from there. So first question, um, is there a book that you would recommend to our, to our listeners to, to read? It could be fiction, business, what are you reading? Um, I like Atomic Habits uh, from James Clear. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of about like, it's sort of about the compound effect about how like, you know, you can get 1% better and it kind of compounds over time, but how to sort of like build in these habits into your, your everyday life and stack the habits so that you can just do those things. But I think it's really helpful if you want to sort of like be your best self. Nice. Um, what's your favorite marketing or productivity tool right now? Uh, I love Intercom. Um, I think live chat is amazing. I think, you know, the product that they built with the app, being able to tag people. I, I, I just love, uh, I just love intercom. Okay. Fantastic. Um, who's a, uh, a marketer or a business leader that you're learning from right now? Uh, two people, um, Scooter Braun. I think he's a, a genius with a lot of the way he's combining sort of like uh, tech with influence, with, uh, with private equity. Um, and I also like Michael Rubin, um, CEO of Fanatics. I think he, uh, he's making crazy, crazy, huge moves. And, uh, and again, both of those guys, I feel like are playing this like really long-term chess game instead of this short-term uh, kind of quick grab. Nice. Um, and last question is where could our listeners go to learn more about you? Uh, Twitter, Ryan A. Shank, um, or I, my new company Cameo Ventures is what I'm using as like a product studio to sort of launch, um, launch different products. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Ryan, appreciate your time. This has been fantastic. And I know, uh, you showed a ton of value that, uh, our listeners are really going to learn a lot from. So thank you so, so much for joining us today. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. The SaaS Marketing Superstars podcast is brought to you by Xamo Digital Marketing. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks again for tuning in.